It's the first Monday of the month and we're responding to your questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 354. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. Once a month, we open up the show to respond to questions that have come in from you, our listening community. If you have a question that you would like to submit to us for consideration for a future Q&A show, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That is the very best way to submit it. And Bonnie and I will do our best to see if we can respond to you in uh, some way, perhaps here on the show. And I have Bonnie back here with us uh, this month to respond to questions. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. You also told me that at the end of the episode, we get to recommend something, which is really fun. Yes. At the end of our conversation today, we're going to dive into some of our podcast recommendations. We have not done that in a while, and we're often asked, what are we listening to out there other than, of course, (laughs) our own podcast? So we'll uh, take a few minutes to do that as well. One of the fun things I've done on my website recently, which Dave, I know you know this, but your listeners may not, at the end of all of my teaching in higher ed podcast episodes, the guest and myself recommend things. And so we're going back through all of the history of all 200 and something episodes and taking those and putting them in this database. So if you go to teachinginhighered.com slash recommendations, you can start to see this ever-growing list of books and movies and music and all kinds of things that people that listen to that show have recommended. It's really an eclectic collection of things that are fun to explore. You do. You have so much fun on recommendations. We should probably do more of that on the show, but oh, oh well, we'll, we'll get to that another day, I guess. Let's dive into our very first question here from Marcelo. Marcelo writes, I'm the manager of a multinational chemical company in Brazil. I have five direct reports and the department has 50 people. Our team have had an extremely good relationship often, not only in the workplace, but also in the private life. Although it helps to create a very friendly and productive work environment, this friendship also creates some difficulties for my supervisors and myself. For instance, in giving negative feedback and in extreme situations and dismissing someone. I read recently an article by Betty Liu on uh, Betty Lau, I'm not sure actually how to pronounce that, it's L-I-U, on LinkedIn, how to avoid getting too close with your direct reports as a manager telling about the importance of having boundaries, but it's very difficult for us, maybe because of our Latin culture. Any thoughts about how to navigate this issue? Marcelo, thank you so much for the question. I do feel somewhat inadequate in responding to this since I'm obviously not a part of your culture. Um, So given that aside, I I think there's a few things to be thinking about in the context of this question. Uh, Those of you who follow the weekly leadership guides that come out on Wednesday may have noticed I posted recently a link to a podcast episode featuring Edgar Schein. Edgar Schein has written a number of books on organizational culture and talks about culture as probably the, the preeminent thinker out there on culture. And he made the point in that interview that culture is neither good nor bad, but culture, the question that we should be asking ourselves when examining culture is, is it serving us and is it serving the needs of the organization? And if it is, then it's working for us. If it isn't, then that's the time to think about if there should be some change made. So I reference that in the context of your question, Marcelo, because I think that this is 
something all of us as leaders need to be conscious of is what are the boundaries. But I wouldn't I wouldn't frame this nearly as a good or bad or should you try to necessarily change, you know, obviously the country's culture you're not going to change, but what are the contexts that are working for you or not? And so in the context of your country's culture, it sounds like there are some aspects of culture that are obstacles for you and some of the other leaders in the workplace. And so I I don't know if this necessarily means you make big changes, but maybe there are some small things that you may start to think about. I do think boundaries is really important for all of us as leaders. There are certain things, for example, that I have as boundaries with professional relationships and with clients are things that I don't engage in conversation with that I might in more personal relationships. So for example, I tend not to ask very cl- like personal favors of people who are clients or professional relationships as much. Um, I tend not to talk about things that may be going on in my personal life that may be issues. And so there are things that I'm very conscious of in those professional relationships that I s- establish as boundaries for myself. So I think you can approach this one of two ways, well, probably more, but one or two ways that I'm thinking about. One is you could be very explicit about those boundaries in your relationships and in the culture within your organization, but you could also be very implicit for yourself as far as what those boundaries are. I tend to take the second road for most of the relationships I have professionally. I don't necessarily announce my boundaries or say, here's something I'm willing to do or not, or here's the kind of conversations I have or I will not have, or here's who I'll invite to dinner or will not. What my boundaries tend to be centered around is, you know, what are the kinds of conversations I'll engage with? What are the kinds of topics that I may bring up? What are the kinds of favors that I may ask or not ask, depending on the relationship? And I just have those rules for myself. And so by the virtue of following those rules, I have established an expectation and in a professional context, I feel more comfortable of having some of those more difficult conversations when they come up than I would if I had a very complex interpersonal relationship with someone where we may have, you know, maybe very tied into personal relationships, family, those kinds of things. Another resource that might be helpful to you in the context of this, Marcelo, is an episode we heard a while back called How to Manage Former Peers, episode 257 with Tom Henschel. That's not the exact question you're asking, but there's a lot of the things that we talked about in that episode as far as how to communicate and establish boundaries, which may be helpful to you in just thinking about not making big changes, but just thinking about what kind of conversations you engage with and how you set expectations for yourself and how you engage in those relationships. Marcella, when I think back to times in my career when I've been a part of a team that accomplished magnificent things, those relationships were always friendships, a form of friendship, and, and they might be distinct and different from a friendship that didn't involve work, but you still get close to people. And when you're vulnerable enough to take the kinds of risks that you need to take in order to do something great, well, there are going to be relationships that where if there does down the road become a performance problem, then yeah, it's awkward. I guess, first of all, I would just say that to me, as I look back, it was worth it to me to take those risks. And I have had situations where during some seasons of some, because I've worked with people for long periods of time, then some seasons of their life, they were able to perform better and more effectively in some of the roles they were in. And in one case, that's very memorable to me. He just wasn't. And so we were able to have those candid conversations 
to talk about where he wasn't performing, but I won't say that they weren't awkward. That being said, I do think that it's worth it. I like being a part of a team where we're close-knit and we we strive for things. The challenge comes in, though, where when a relationship is occurring outside the workplace where you could be inadvertently discriminating. The classic example is the people in America, a lot of them like to go golfing. And golfing is a very male-oriented sport. It isn't that women can't golf or don't golf. It's just statistically speaking, you're a lot more likely that a man would be a golfer than a woman. And so that can create where you like to go golfing, you find some friends who like to go golfing, and before you know it, the access in a company to higher levels of leadership is more afforded to those who are male because they participate in those social activities. I've had some young people that I've mentored who are early in their career who talk about at their job, they're pretty much expected to participate in the parties. And oftentimes these parties get very gregarious and very much involved and are centered around alcohol and drinking alcohol. And that's not something that they necessarily want to do on their off hours. They don't want to be, you know, feel pressured to go and partake of, you know, large quantities of alcohol to get ahead in a company and to build the kinds of relationships they need to build. So to me, I'd say, yeah, error on the side of recognizing that you're going to become close with people as you achieve great things. Yet at the same time, watching for the social things that happen outside of work, it could make it appear like you're playing favorites, even if you're not. It could make it introduce these options where it ends up you're discriminating. You didn't mean to, but just by the very nature of, I mean, in fact, back to the example with the young people I know of, Dave and I have young children and and in the weekends and on our off hours, we're going to want to spend time with them, not partying and up people that we work with. So that would be another example where Dave and I wouldn't be introduced to the same opportunities for relationships and network building if we weren't willing to give that up. So those are a couple of thoughts, Marcel. I'm so glad you're thinking through these things because it's just important to regularly reflect on the work that we do and the kinds of impact we're having. And I don't think there's any right answer for you, as Dave mentioned, but I am glad you're asking the question. I hope you'll update us as you think more about it and start to put some of these things into practice. Your comment about parties, Bonnie, got me thinking about one other thing Many of the people I've run into over the years that have struggled with this distinction, I found have fallen into the trap of something which Bonnie mentioned is most or all of their personal relationships and friendships are people that are within their workplace or their industry. And so I I wouldn't say don't have personal relationships with the people in your industry or your workplace, but have that be a subset of your friendships. And And I say that that's an easy thing to say. It's a hard thing to do for many of us in our lives. We're very busy and we have to be intentional about that. But to the extent that you can of being intentional about reaching out and building relationships that are outside of the workplace, I think makes this a lot, a lot easier to navigate and to be able to engage in those difficult conversations and also to find that personal connection in other ways other than just in the workplace. Our next question is from Martin. Martin wrote in and asked, someone on my team continues to rush through our one-on-ones and you can feel that he can't wait to get out of the room. While on the other hand, I'm trying to discuss some of his attitudes to work and find the root cause. I guess I'm trying to apply coach-like behavior, but he's only interested in management-like feedback. Maybe it's all he needs and I shouldn't try to be a coach if he's not willing to participate. Do you think it makes sense for me to try and discover a way of getting through his defense 
or should I step back for now and manage him and his performance? And he adds in, he's procrastinating and keeps postponing the work that he needs to complete. I keep trying to get to the bottom of this behavior, but he just wants to know if he's on track and a simple yes or no answer. He knows that he is procrastinating, but doesn't want to openly talk about it. Martin, this sounds like a challenging situation, and I have been in similar ones myself and and can remember being really frustrated by someone who appears to be this kind of defensive behavior and not really willing to engage. I will say early on in your question, though, you used a word that for me starts sending off alarm bells. And I wish we had sound effects right now because I'd be like, <laughs> and that's... we are not going to bring sound effects into the show, though. <laughs> no, I think they're actually mostly a strong, <laughs> strong bias against that. But you use this word attitude. And anytime we use that attitude, it invites a defensive response from the other person. And my encouragement to you would be to really do a big pendulum shift over to behavior. We can talk about behavior. Behavior might invite defensiveness too, but not in the same way that assuming that you understand someone's internal motivations, even if you do, by the way, because a lot of times we can pick up on the cues, but even if you do, it's just not helpful because it invites that defensiveness. So I would say too, you also talked about wanting to be more of a coach. And with, with the relationship that's introduced through coaching, we really do have to have permission and also buy-in commitment from the other person in order to engage in that. And it sounds very much like coaching is not really appropriate for this particular relationship. He doesn't invite it. He doesn't welcome it. And I would also say you don't need to get to the bottom of it. You can really just get to, did he hit the deadline? Did he not hit the deadline? Is he meeting the objectives? Is he not meeting the objectives? And really stress the behavior. And because so often when we start to pick up on other people's attitudes and motivations, there is something more there. I don't really want to get into it because if we're going to end up down a path where they really are not meeting the performance for the requirements for the job, then we can really have that conversation of here's what the benchmark is. You're not meeting it. Here's what needs to happen. And if that doesn't change, then we need to look into you perhaps not having your job anymore, obviously not said in exactly those words, but that's kind of the, that's the way those conversations go. And I would really want to be careful about using words that are really hard to define, like attitudes, and they're really hard to measure and hard to manage toward against. But I wish you the best, Martin. I mean, I know these things can be so difficult and it can, it can really be tough, but if we focus on behaviors, it's a little bit easier because then we don't have to try to get inside of someone else's head. Martin, if you're looking for a framework on how to do what Bonnie just suggested, I would suggest episode 117 on how to follow a delegation process. That has been helpful to many in our community over the years on thinking through the steps to just be very clear on what outcomes and behaviors should look like. And I'd add, and if I could go back and re-record that episode, the part I would add in is it's not also just enough to hit the to hit the benchmarks and to hit the goals. And one of the things you point out in this question is that he's procrastinating. He knows he's procrastinating. And when I've seen this happen, and I've seen my own behavior in this too, is the kind of person that falls into that situation sometimes tends to be in crisis mode the last minute in order to hit the objectives and the deadlines. And they may technically clear the bar. But the way they do it stresses out everyone else in the organization, pulls resources, means they're unavailable when they need to be pulled in for other projects. And so 
in addition to setting the benchmarks technically for what needs to happen, there's also the expectations for the how you do this, the values in the organization and how available you are to others and not stressing out the whole workplace. So there's a place for that conversation too, if that hasn't already happened. And if you follow that, I think that's going to get you along the path to potentially open up the conversation to something bigger later on. And like Bonnie said, to perhaps earn the trust to do a little bit more coaching. Our next question is from Louise. Louise writes, I'm a first-time manager still encountering new experiences, but I'm considering a return to an individual contributor role and would like help to achieve this. Recent events at work have caused me to reassess not only career goals, but life objectives as well, resulting in my husband and I seriously considering relocating our family to a completely different state for a more affordable and better lifestyle for our young kids. As such, I want to propose my role be redesigned back to an individual contributor role in whatever way that is best suited to the business needs, but work full-time remotely from a home office, which is outside the norm. I don't want this to be seen as a way of avoiding all the politics and uncomfortable conversations associated with being a manager at times, but I don't feel this role is for me long-term. How should I make this proposal in the most effective way so as to continue my career in this company, which is a medium-sized but very close involved and informed senior management team. Louise, thank you for the question. Louise also sent some background information with this question. I don't think it was her intention for us to read it on the air, but it changes the context of how I'm going to respond to this question. So I'll just summarize some of what she said. In addition to what's mentioned here, the background information is that there's been some really unfortunate situations that have happened in the last six months in her management role. The company has not been very supportive, or it sounds like supportive at all. She's lost trust with a lot of this, the her boss and the senior leadership team. There's And this is multiple people within the organization, not just one person. So Louise, I mentioned that because that changes for me how I'd respond to this question. If, if, and of course, you know, we only know a few details here, but if I was, if you were coming to us with this question and saying, hey, you know, I've worked for this organization. They're hugely supportive of me. I've had a wonderful track record with them. And yet, this may not be the right role. And I'm thinking about how to redo it. My, my advice would be really different, but that's not the situation here. The situation is you're in a situation where the organization hasn't been very supportive of you, where you don't have a lot of trust with people. And there's been a whole bunch of situations that have happened that are really unfortunate. So I would actually take a step back to something you else you mentioned in your question, which I think is pretty significant, which is you're thinking about relocating and you and your husband are having this conversation about should you go somewhere else where you could save on cost of living. I am curious, are these two related or are those two separate things? Because for me, if I was thinking about this for our family and we were having an ongoing conversation about were we going to relocate? What was it going to look like? Like, I'd want to kind of figure that out first. Like, what do the finances look like? What are you trying to achieve long-term by potentially making a move and changing the geography of where your family's located? That That's a pretty major life family decision to make. And I would make, I would have, I mean, your situation, I guess I'm thinking like, I would want to know that first. Like, where do you really land on that in a big picture perspective? What does that look like long-term for you and your family? And then once you know that, uh, and you know what your budget looks like, and you know what your goals are long-term and what's important to you as a family, then I'd be thinking about, okay, 
what would I need to do tactically in my career that's going to align up with that? Because I'd be really hesitant to build that decision around this organization and your and your involvement with this organization because at least from the context of your question in the background, you said they have not demonstrated that they're very supportive of you and in this role and empowering you and, and continuing to help you to feel affirmed and loved and encouraged in the workplace in the way that most of us hope to be. So for me, I and I don't know if this is really about you being a manager or not either. Uh, you could have a management role in a different organization with different people involved and have had a completely different experience. So I say that not to try to get you to stay to be a manager, but I'm not sure this is really about you being a manager or not. What it sounds like is this is an organization that doesn't share the same values that you share. And so the decision to move or not, I'd make that first and then decide like, what is the kind of organization you want to work for and you want to be in alignment with? And what are the kinds of roles that you want to potentially have? And then you know, you make a decision if this is an organization you want to stay with. But even if they were going to go along with this, I'm not sure it's the organization you want to stick with. I was also just going to mention real quick that it is amazing to me how many opportunities there are to work from home, but you really do have to have a company that's more progressive like that, or even be more entrepreneurial yourself and decide to pursue those kinds of opportunities. And so I just wish you the best because I do get to work from home a lot. And it is one of the greatest joys of my work life. I really, really enjoy the opportunity to do that and just the autonomy. And Dave and I will regularly go for quick 10 minute walks and it just helps me manage my energy levels better and be more, much, much more productive than I would be if I was in an office environment the whole time. So I wish you the best on pursuing it. And I do think David's advice is wise as far as identifying some of the core issues and talking through those. We wish you the best on your transition. Yeah, let us know what you decide to do, Louise. Uh, we'd love to hear. So let's tackle a few podcast recommendations, Bonnie. We get, in fact, I've seen a number of reviews recently where people say, hey, I love it when you recommend other podcasts and resources out there. So let's take a few minutes here to share some of what we've been listening to. What have you been listening to recently that's uh, catching your attention? I have a few that are in the management arena, management and leadership, and one is from Dan Pink. It's called 1320 Podcast. And it's because it covers one issue and it talks about three or one book or one one main idea and three sort of takeaways. And I forgot what the 20 is. Maybe it's that he does it in 20 minutes or less. I believe that's what the 20 I is think so, yeah. in reference to. It's a great podcast. Also, Seth Godin recently came out with a podcast. He's a marketing guy and he really twists the way I think about things. His podcast is called Akimbo. And then last is the Getting Things Done, which is a productivity system that Dave and I really do like by David Allen. And so Getting Things Done is just a way to promote their paid membership where you can get access to even more recordings and resources and things like that. But I'll tell you what, they have some really good gems that'll show up there in the feed and I enjoy that one. And then I have just a couple more to mention. One is as far as getting a daily news update. I like the one from NPR that is called Up First. And then I wanted to just say that the last two are ones that really stretch my mind. I've become fascinated lately just with the idea of being exposed to things that are outside of my own context. Earlier in the podcast, we were talking about a different culture. And I think it's so helpful to be exposed to different cultures and different ideas and different contexts. And so these two fall under that category. 
with continuing the trend of staying up with the news instead of up first, which is by a context I'm very familiar with, or that would be the National Public Radio, NPR, we have what's called Pod Save the People. And what makes that different for me is that all of the hosts are African-Americans. And so I get exposed to the news, but instead of from my normal context as a white woman, it is from people who are in a very different culture than mine. And I really enjoy just sometimes they'll bring up entirely different news stories I hadn't even heard about before, or oftentimes they're ones I have heard about, but they really have a different take than most of the mainstream media might. And so to me, it's akin to listening to as as someone who lives in the United States, listening to like the BBC that helps me see what people outside the U.S. are, how they're perceiving our news and what's happening. And I think that's really great to do. This is within the U.S., Black people, how are they experiencing the news and what's happening in our country? I find it really helpful. And then kind of an extreme version of that, and this is my last one, Dave. I told you I'd have quite a few, but I also said I'd be concise. So I'm trying to fulfill both of those both of those desires. So the last one is actually a podcast that is recorded inside of a jail. And it is called, actually, it's, I think there's a distinction between jail and prison. It's inside of a prison. It is called Ear Hustle. And you really hear about what's happening in prisons today, everything from some episodes that are particularly funny, but also ones that are really heartbreaking. The one I remember most memorably is that there are people within the prison who basically come alongside others who are incarcerated as they're dying, because there is no, you know, hospice inside of prison. I mean, there's no like, it's not that they get to leave that context as they're dying. They're there in the prison dying and the people who carry them from their beds to their meals and who help bathe them. It was really a moving episode. And so that's just really a podcast I enjoy listening to. But like I said, it's not always depressing. Sometimes it's really, really funny and and uh, just fun to get to know the people who are there and, and really humanizes them a little bit more and educates us about what's happening inside of our prisons. Okay, so I have already grabbed a few more for my list. I didn't even know you were listening to. That's awesome. So I have three recommendations. One of them, uh, two of them are by the, from the same person. Uh, many of you will recognize the name Michael Bungay Stanier. He has been uh, here on Coaching for Leaders a couple times. He'll be back again soon. And he is the author of the very popular book, The Coaching Habit. It is, in my opinion, the best book on coaching for the rest of us, on how to be a better coach in 10 minutes a day or less in your interactive coaching of employees. It's a great book to read if you haven't read it. What is also great is his relatively new podcast called The Coaching Habit as well. And it's just, it's a show that's about asking people great questions would be the best way I could describe it. I think you'll find it really helpful if, like me, getting to be more coach-like is important to you. I think you'll find a lot on that up on that show that will be valuable to you. And then the other podcast that I think would be attractive from him for a, a much smaller portion of our audience, but for those of you who fall into this category, this is perhaps the best podcast you could listen to. He's also started a new podcast called Performance Management Stories. If you are the kind of person in your organization that is on the executive team or in, or perhaps a top HR person, especially in a large organization or doing organizational development work, organizational change work, this podcast is all about how are organizations doing different things with performance management as far as how they are changing their formal feedback, 
their performance rating systems or not having them, how organizations are doing or not doing performance reviews. A lot of us have heard anecdotal stories of companies ditching the performance review. And it turns out that that's a lot more complicated than has probably been perceived in the media by a lot of us. And the entire podcast is about stories of very large organizations and even small organizations of how they've gone through that process. And it's really fascinating how much is being shared on that show and some of the senior leaders that Michael has had. And just I'm really impressed of how transparent they are with the stories that they are sharing about what they've gone through and what they're struggling with in their organizations about thinking about performance management. So if that is something you're involved with in your organization, I think that's really a must listen. And then a final recommendation I have is more of a fun one is a podcast called Brains On. It's a podcast for kids, but it's also a podcast for adults too. I have been having so much fun listening to it with our kids and it is mostly a science-based podcast. They do a really great job of taking a particular topic and making it simple enough for me (laughs) to understand. And of course, our kids to understand too, but they have kid co-hosts on the show and they get into details and they feature scientists, but they do it at a kid's vocabulary level. It's really fun. And I have found I have learned a ton and our kids are learning a ton from it too. So if you're looking for a fun show to listen to with your kids, I'd highly recommend Brains On. And we'll put links to all these in the show notes. In addition to all those links that you'll find in the show notes, several related episodes to the questions we responded to today. If you go into the podcast library in your free membership and tap the management skills button, one of the episodes you're going to turn up is episode 117, the seven steps you follow to delegate work. I mentioned that earlier in the episode. If you are looking for a framework on how to delegate more effectively, episode 117 is a very good starting point. Uh, it is something most of us know we need to do a better job at. If you're not sure where to start or how to delegate, 117, seven steps, it'll get you started on that path. It's been helpful to a lot of folks in our community. Also, I'd recommend episode 257, how to manage former peers. I mentioned that earlier as well. Tom Henschel and I looked at the dynamics that emerge for a lot of us when we move up into a new role, and especially if we're managing people that we've formerly were peers with, or maybe even people that used to manage us. It happens a lot in the workplace, and it's one of those things that really isn't talked about very much, uh, and you kind of have to navigate as you go. I think episode 257 would be a great listen for you if you find yourself in that situation or preparing to step into that situation. And then I'd also recommend episode 284, The Way to Stop Rescuing People from Their Problems. I mentioned Michael Bungay-Stanier in some of his podcasts just a bit ago. Uh, One of the most popular downloaded episodes of, of the last year or so was that episode. Michael came on talked about that situation that a lot of us find ourselves in leadership, that we want to jump in and help, and we end up finding ourselves rescuing a lot of people from problems. Uh, If that is you, as it has been me many times, episode 284 will help you to break that cycle, but to do it in a way that is proactive and empowering to the other person and using really good coaching skills. All of those past episodes are in the podcast library. You can get to them by going to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast and searching by topic. 
if you haven't already, when you get there, set up your free membership because that will give you full access to the podcast library searchable by topic. It'll give you access to all the member casts, my weekly leadership guide, my book notes, and a ton more resources that are online there, including my free audio course, 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. If you'll give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, I will help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a more effective leader. Many of the experts that have been on the show over the last seven years are included in that 10-day course. You can get access to all of that just by going to coachingforleaders.com and activating your free membership. Next week, I am glad to welcome to the show Jody Wadrich. He is going to be teaching us about how to create a corporate budget and the mindset you need when someone says, hey, you got to put together a budget for this department or organization especially if you haven't done that before. So we're going to do a two-episode series. Next episode, Jody's going to be talking about how to create a corporate budget and the mindset for that. The following week, Jesse Meekham's going to be on the show. He is the founder of You Need a Budget, and we're going to be talking about personal budgeting. So we'll step away from the leadership topic just a bit. Professional budgeting, personal budgeting, all coming up in the next two weeks. So join us for both of those. Thank you to Jay Barshop and Master Blaster 66 here in the States and Dom Seleski in the UK for the kind reviews you left on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to all of you. It was a pleasure talking to you over email. Hey, if you have a moment to leave a review, coachingforleaders.com slash Apple. Have a great week and see you for the next two weeks to talk about budgeting. Take care.